Thank you, Thompsons. Well, good morning again. Welcome to Mountain Fellowship. Again, my name is Jimmy. I'm one of the elders here, and uh, we are going to jump into the little book of Habakkuk together over the next few weeks. We're in the middle of our sermon series called A Praying Church, and so far we've looked at uh, Matthew and Luke and uh, their recordings of Jesus' teaching on the Lord's Prayer, Um, and we've learned there that we pray as God's people who are in community with him and on mission with him. Um, We are part of the Father's family, uh, carrying out the Father's family business uh, because of Jesus the Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I want to remind you, last week, if you weren't here, I handed out to everyone this little guide to prayer. Uh, It's it's a way to pray for Mountain Fellowship, specifically, as well as other churches and the church around the world. Um, but it's based on the Lord's Prayer, and so it's just full of uh, a lot of prayer prompts uh, that will help you use it throughout the week. Uh, I, would, I don't pray through the whole thing every day. I just take a little piece of it every day and just work my way through it over however long it takes me to get through the guide, and then I start over again. Uh, there are copies of this back on the back table. Uh, there's a PDF of it on our church blog on the website. So grab one of these and, and use it, if you would, uh, by yourself, with your family, in your small group, however you would like to use it to be praying uh, for Mountain Fellowship and mission uh, to which God has called us together. Um, Let me pray, and and we'll jump into Habakkuk together. Father, as we uh, turn to this powerful little book, which is itself a prayer, um, I ask that you would, uh, by your Spirit, help us to to draw from it uh, some understanding of what it's like, um, what it looks like to wrestle with you in the middle of very difficult days. Um, Thank you for recording these words and preserving them for us over thousands of years so that we could be reminded um, of who you are and who we are in relation to you um, and that there is hope um, even in our darkest days. We ask that you would help us now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, as we look at Habakkuk, now I want to, we're only going to spend four Sundays on this little three-chapter book, um, so I, you may dis- some of you may be disappointed. You want a real in-depth, inductive study of the book of Habakkuk, and you want me to tell you everything there is to know about it. Sorry. Uh, my, my aim with this is to look at it more... Um, reflections from Habakkuk, meditations from Habakkuk on prayer, and particularly uh, how to pray uh, during difficult days. And, And not only so that we know how to deal with the difficult days, but how do we deal with God 
in the midst of difficult days. And uh, so I would encourage you, uh, as background, your personal study of Habakkuk, pick it up and read it throughout this next week. It's, it's pretty short, three chapters, um, but read through the whole thing and you get the whole picture and you'll see that it is a dialogue between Habakkuk and God. And um, so I'd encourage you to do that and then find some resources if, if you want um, that will help you uh, study the book uh, more in depth, uh, but um, we're just going to be able to barely skim the, the surface, uh, but I think it will be helpful for us. Um, full disclosure, I have preached this little mini-series on Habakkuk before, and the first time I did that was almost 21 years ago, so this is old stuff, but no, the book of Habakkuk is really old, so it's okay. But I tell you that because um, the first time I preached through this little uh, mini-series on Habakkuk, I was a youth pastor in Pensacola, Florida, and um, you know, I first titled this sermon series in Habakkuk, Life is Hard, Where is God? Now, I was about to enter into my 30s, and so you know, who was I to think that life was hard and, and be asking where was God? Uh, my life had been pretty great up to that point. But the reason I was struggling with that and wanting to look at Habakkuk to kind of figure out how do I deal with God in the midst of life being hard is because by that time, um, I had uh, been married long enough to know that I was very selfish uh, beyond what I could imagine. Um, I had been through so about six years of marriage, six years of seminary and ministry, and um, a couple of years of counseling. And, you know, I thought that by the time I turned 30, I would actually be a mature man. I thought maybe one day I'd wake up and click, I'd be a mature, godly man. It just wasn't working out that way. And, uh, Becoming an adult is horrible. <laughs> it's hard. Um, it, it's hard. And so by that time, um, I had recognized some of those things. I, just, I, just, I knew Habakkuk was a great little place for me to go and think about, so how, do I, how do I pray and relate to God when things are hard? But little did I know when I started that series, um, in the summer of 1997, how hard it was going to get. Before I could preach the last sermon on chapter 3 of Habakkuk, uh, just days before, actually, um, on June 19th, 1997, uh, Christine was burned in a terrible kitchen grease fire accident. Um, I had gone to the grocery store to pick up some things that she needed to cook this meal that she was going to cook that involved a pot of grease. And when I drove in our driveway there in Pensacola, uh, we had a, at the end of our driveway, the part of the house that was right next to the driveway was this glass sunroom porch. As I drove in that driveway, I looked 
and suddenly that porch filled with flame and just fire. And I stopped. I jumped out of the car. As soon as I got out of the car, I could hear Christine screaming, just screaming in pain. I ran to the porch door. I tried to open it, realized I didn't have a key, ran back, got the key. When I finally opened the door, I could look into the porch, and there was just a low blue flame all over the floor, and I could hear her screaming. I tried to get through to get to her, and I slipped and fell in the hot grease that apparently was the, the cause of the fire. Ran back around the front of the house because I didn't, couldn't get through, and she had gone out the front door. And when I came back around to the front of the house, she came out onto the porch, and she had been wearing shorts, you know, summer short sleeves, shorts. Um, and, and forgive the graphic nature of this, but the skin on her legs and her arms was just falling off. Her legs and her arms were just blistered, blistered. Emergency vehicles came, fire department, uh, a neighbor who was a doctor came, helped her, took her rings off, took the socks that were soaked in grease off her feet and began to run cool water from the hose on her. Um, and they took her to the hospital and I followed in my car in the ambulance uh, on the way to the hospital that day and as I was driving um, I remember just slamming my fist on the steering wheel shouting at God why God why are you doing this why are you doing this to her up until that point Christine had been experiencing the hard things of life too she's struggling with uh, chronic migraines and and pain, and uh, we were convinced after two years of trying that we were infertile. And she had been struggling, wrestling with God. Do you love me? Do you love me? Why all these hard things going on in my life? And so I had that in mind, and I thought, she already struggles with whether you love her or not. How is this going to help? And I yelled at him. I continued to bang my fists on the steering wheel. And as I was crying out to him, I remembered the story of when Jesus had said some very hard things and many of his followers left him. And he turned to the 12 and he said, are you going to leave me too? And one of them said, where would we go, Lord? Only you have the words of eternal life. And so I, I said to God through my tears, but where, where am I going to go? Where, who else can I trust? Where else am I going to go in the middle of this? Only you have life. Help me. In 20 years of being a Christian up to that point, I had never prayed such an honest prayer. 
ever. Maybe haven't since then, but I, I don't know. I've never prayed such an honest prayer. And that's what I want us to talk about today, because Habakkuk prays, as Kevin just read, an honest prayer. And, and that's what the book is. It's a conversation Habakkuk had with God about tragic events taking place in his lifetime. Um, So if you look at the book of Habakkuk, very quickly, chapter 1 starts with Habakkuk complaining and then God responding. And then Habakkuk complains again about God's response. And in chapter 2, God responds again to Habakkuk's complaint as Habakkuk wisely keeps his mouth shut and listens. And then in chapter 3, this conversation back and forth between God and Habakkuk, Habakkuk responds finally to God with this beautiful prayer, some say a psalm of praise and trust and hope. The book of Habakkuk is a real-life prayer. And so that's what I want us over the next few weeks to look at. What does it mean to pray real-life prayers? On on the front of your bulletin, I put a quote from David Pallison. um, And he wrote this in the foreword of Paul Miller's book, A Praying Life. By the way, if there were one book besides the Bible and the Psalms that I would recommend to you, you, if you're curious about how do I pray? If you want to start somewhere, besides the Psalms, A Praying Life by Paul Miller. Uh, and there's a new updated revised version. Look it up, read it, it's fantastic. But David Pallerson said this in the foreword to that book. He said, prayer is meant to be the conversation where your life and your God meet. Talking life over with this unseen God is the sort of conversation worth calling prayer. The Bible's prayers traffic in both daily life and the real God. They bring real troubles and need to a God who really listens. They never seem like a production. They sound and feel real because they are real. But here's the question. Is it okay to complain to God? Uh, Complaining works well in department stores and restaurants, right? You complain, you get what you want. If you complain loud enough, irritate a few people, you get what you're looking for. But the question is, does heaven have a complaint department? Hmm. Uh, Is it okay to be frustrated with the king of creation? Is it right to express your frustration and anger toward God? And if so... How is that going to help my relationship with him? How is that going to help? Well, before we attempt to answer that, I want to make something clear. The problem is not whether uh, we should express our frustration as much as it is. We are frustrated with God. We do get frustrated. We do get angry with him. Um. The the problem is, should I admit it to him? I mean, won't he be mad 
Am I going to make it worse? Am I going to complain to God and say, yes, I'm frustrated with you. Yes, I'm angry with you. And if I say that to him, is he not going to say, well, you think that was bad? Watch this. After all, we're Presbyterians, and we know who's ultimately responsible for what goes on. We should be honest and say, Lord, when it boils down to it, you're the one I have a problem with. We're in good company. The psalm writers did this. The song that you heard uh, Nathan and the worship team do during the offertory uh, is Psalm 13. I mean, it's very, the lyrics they sang right off the pages of Psalm 13. But listen to a few of these. Psalm 10. Why, O Lord, do you stand afar off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Have you ever said this to God? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Psalm 22. These words should sound familiar. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, I find no rest. Psalm 74. Oh God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? How long, O oh God, is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the fold of your garment and destroy them. Or Psalm 77. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Have you ever wondered, does he still love me? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? John Calvin said that the Psalms are the mirror of our emotions. Almost every human emotion that exists can be found on the pages of the Psalms. And uh, he said that the Psalm writers would open their inmost thoughts and emotions and then he calls us to examine ourselves as well so that none of our infirmities or vices, he says, may remain concealed. Habakkuk is wringing his heart out to God like the psalm writers. And what I want us to, to see from Habakkuk's example this morning is that confronting, uh, confessing our frustration with God in prayer will reveal the answers to two questions that are crucial to having an intimate relationship with God. And those questions are, very simply, who am I and who is God? As Paul Miller says, prayer is the real you talking to the real God. And so this kind of honest praying helps us answer those two questions. And I want to look at that in Habakkuk very briefly here. The first question is, who am I? When I pray honestly, I, found out who the, I find out who the real me is. Look, in Habakkuk chapter 1, um, he said right off the bat, how long, 
first of all. He says one time, and then he asks God why three times uh, in verses 2 and 3 and, and verse 13. Um, how long, Lord? Why? 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 And his example invites us to bear our souls to God, to bring the good, the bad, and the ugly before him and say, this is who I am, this is the real me. And so here's, here's what Habakkuk was saying, was asking God. He, first of all, was asking, God, are you there? Are, are you there? Hello? In verse 2, he says, how long will I cry for help and you will not hear? I don't even think you're there. Are you listening? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever prayed and felt, prayed and prayed and prayed and felt like, are they getting beyond the ceiling? Is he listening? Is he there? C.S. Lewis, after the loss of his wife, Joy, to cancer, wrote in his journal during that whole process. And eventually that journal became the book called A Grief Observed. Um, I highly recommend it to you. But he wrote these words early in the time when uh, Joy was um, going through her cancer treatments, Lewis said, Where is God? Go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is in vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. If you've never uh, seen the movie Shadowlands, um, particularly the one that has uh, Deborah Winger and Anthony Hopkins. Shadowlands is the story, that story of C.S. Lewis and his wife Joy and her journey with cancer and his wrestling with God uh, through it all. It's a powerful film. You will need tissue. Um, it makes me weep like a baby every time I watch it. Um, but Hopkins does a brilliant job portraying C.S. Lewis's struggle with God um, over Joy's cancer and her death. Um, Christine and I once watched that film with a, a couple, and after it was all over, they said um, to us, um, well, you know, we said, what would you think of the movie? And one of them said, I, I'm not sure that, C.S. Lewis should have said those things to God. He must not have had much faith. But what we're going to find from Habakkuk is that biblical faith does not live in denial. Biblical faith um, asks God the question, are you there? Where are you? What's going on? The other question that Habakkuk asked was, God, do you care? Um, and if, if the first question, God, are you there, revealed that Habakkuk was afraid, this question would reveal that he's angry. God, are you there? And then, God, do you care? In verse 2, he says, How long shall I cry to you, violence, and you will not save? You see it. Your eyes are too pure for evil. Why don't you do something about it? Don't you care? 
what was happening is Habakkuk looked around at the people of Judah, his own people, and he saw very little left of the reforms that the godly king Josiah had instituted in Judah. Through Josiah, God brought a revival to the land, and he rid uh, the nation of idols, and he brought back true worship to God's people. But now, when this was written, uh, they were under the reign of the godless king, Jehoiakim. And uh, Jehoiakim uh, led Judah, led God's people back to idol-worshiping wicked ways. And so Habakkuk was frustrated because God didn't seem to be doing anything about it. He wasn't judging the wicked, nor was he bringing another revival. Habakkuk was frustrated because God didn't seem to be to care about what was going on. And this is so relevant for us. All it takes is a little bit of looking at the evening news or reading your Twitter feed, your Facebook feed, to find out that things are a mess and to make you ask the question, God, don't you care about what's going on here? And not just what's going on with people who don't know you, The church is a mess, God. Do you care? Aren't you going to do something about this? And it revealed that Habakkuk was angry. God, okay, I know you're there, but I'm not convinced you care. I know you're there, but I'm not convinced you're good. Why won't you do something? Someone once said to me, I am very angry at God, but I've never been able to admit it to him. I guess I've always thought that if I told God how mad I was at him, he'd say, like I said earlier, oh yeah, well you haven't seen anything yet, take this. And of course, you should always be prepared for the consequences that come when you challenge your creator. Don't hear me, don't hear me saying just go after him. Know who you're dealing with. But I don't think that should ever mean you keep your frustration with God to yourself and not talk to him about it. I had a friend once that I knew was angry with me about a particular situation. And I'm sure, rightfully so, I don't even remember what it was now. But I do remember knowing that he was angry, but that he, would never, he never talked to me about it. And so when we'd see each other, we just went on like normal. But yet I knew he was upset with me about this thing. And it drove me crazy. And I finally said, I think you're mad at me about this thing. And he said, yeah, I have been. And we talked through it. But what that, what that made me feel when I knew he was angry with me and yet he wouldn't express that and talk to me about it, it made me feel like he didn't take me seriously. It didn't take us seriously. It didn't take our relationship seriously. And I think your father wants you to take him seriously. He's not afraid of your anger. He's a big boy. He can take it. In, uh, in their book called Cry of the Soul, Dan Allender and Trimper Longman describes describe two kinds of anger that can be directed toward God. There's unrighteous anger, 
and righteous anger. Unrighteous anger, they say, wants to be free of its chains and fetters. Unrighteous anger does not want the restraint, the, the restraint placed on them by the rule of God. Unrighteous anger is a hammer that tries to break the bond of servitude connecting us to our Creator. Unrighteous anger delivers us from trusting a God who does not comply with our desires. But righteous anger, they go on to say, righteous anger grieves and struggles with God. What are you doing, God? What am I to understand about you? What am I to face about myself given the fury I feel? This person's focus moves from his hurt and anger toward God to pondering the character and deeds of God. In the struggle with God, the righteous heart waits for God to reveal his character. It's the kind, it's the kind of interaction I want from my children. If they're mad at me and angry with me, I don't want them to stiff-arm me and use their anger as a way to separate from me. I would rather them come to me and beat on my chest and say, I'm really mad at you, Dad, but I'm not done with you. I just want to understand you. I don't get you. And that's the kind of wrestling I think God would have us as his children do with him. So a good question to ask is, am I using my anger at him to ignore him, to push him away so that I don't have to deal with him? Or am I willing to express my anger and frustration with God and beat on his chest and say, I don't like this, but I need you. I just don't get you. I think that's what Habakkuk was doing. He took his relationship with God seriously enough to admit his frustration with God and wrestle through all of that to knowing God better. And that's what happens. C.S. Lewis wrote in that journal later on. Um, he said, Not that I am in much danger of ceasing to believe in God. The real danger is of coming to believe such dreadful things about him. The conclusion I dread is not, so there is no God after all, but rather, so this is what God is really like. Deceive yourself no longer. What he's saying is, not only in honest prayer do I understand who I am as one who's afraid and angry, but if I wrestle with God long enough in prayer, I will come to see things about him and the, the things, the difficult, hard things that he allows into my life will reveal things about him that maybe I didn't know before. Christine and I found that God was a lot bigger and more mysterious and yet a lot more loving than we ever thought before she was birthed. And it was absolutely clear who was in charge of my life and her life at that point. So it's not that we didn't, we didn't dread not believing in him. It's that he was correcting our vision of him and saying, nope. I am sovereign. I am in charge. Your life is mine. And so, thankfully, we are able to start relating to him as he is and not as we imagined him to be. And that's what honest prayer does. And that's what happened with Habakkuk. The second question 
uh, is who is God? So when Habakkuk received God's answer to his complaints, he got more than he bargained for. God said, okay, Habakkuk, you want to know if I'm here and if I really care about sin and injustice? You just wait till you see what I've got planned. Not only am I going to judge my people, I'm going... Not only am I going to judge my people that you've been complaining about, I'm going to use the world's worst people to do it. The most vicious, cruel, and powerful army in the world will be my instrument of justice. I'm going to wipe out Judah. Habakkuk changed his tune with God at this point. And I wonder if he got a little worried when he found out that he was going to be right in the middle of God's judgment on Judah because in verse 5 of chapter 1, God said it would happen in your days, Habakkuk. And then in verse 12, Habakkuk said, we shall not die. He realized he was going to be right in the middle of whatever this was God was going to do to his people. So just when Habakkuk thought he knew God and had him all figured out, God revealed even more of his character. God stretched Habakkuk's theological categories. And here are at least, at least two aspects of God's character that Habakkuk may have known in his head but was about to experience in real life. First, God is just. When God told him to write the vision, the vision was this, this book this vision of, this pronouncement of judgment, both on God's people and, as we'll see, on the Babylonians, the Chaldeans. God is just. The vision um, was the pronouncement of the coming judgment. God did have a plan. He would use the dreaded Babylonians to judge his own people. And Habakkuk knew that God was the Holy One who is of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. He knew about God's justice, but he was about to see it applied to real life. So by engaging in honest real-life prayer in the midst of difficult days, Habakkuk experienced something more about what he already knew about who God is. He is a righteous God. He is just. And Habakkuk would know it up close and personal. What are your honest prayers revealing about God that you already knew but maybe needed to know a little more deeply? Maybe it's not his justice and righteousness. Uh, don't hear me say that whatever is going on in your, in your life is God's judgment on you. That's, that's what was happening in Judah at that time. But whatever it is that's happening has the opportunity to reveal something about God's character that you never knew before. Or maybe you knew in your head but really didn't know in your heart. Christine would tell you that before the fire, which I didn't even tell you, had her in the burn unit for 31 days and two years of recovery afterwards at home, um, she would have told you um, before the fire that she was wondering, does God really love me with all these things going on? And you think, why would God say, well, I'm going to prove to you how much I love you and I'm going to make things worse. 
After the fire and months of recovery, she wrote these words. I have walked through the fire and have smelled the stench of charred skin, but I have also tasted the goodness of God's love. There's a whole lot of story behind coming to that conclusion. <laughs> so I'm asking you what, are you, what are you finding out about God's character in the midst of your hard things? And then finally, Habakkuk not only found a little bit more about who God is, but about what God does. God does and will judge. God said in chapter 2, verse 3, the vision will surely come. It will not delay. God's timing may not have satisfied Habakkuk. But one thing was certain. God does what he says he's going to do. He will judge. In chapter 2, verse 4, God left Habakkuk with two ways to respond to the things that were happening in his world. Listen to this verse. Behold, his soul, he's talking about the Babylonians, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. There's the two choices. You can live like the Babylonian, or you can live like a righteous son or daughter of the king. We can either puff out our chests and defy God or we can lean on God's chest and depend on him. So the question becomes, what am I to do while I wait to see what God will do? What am I going to do while I wait to see what God will do? And God says, the righteous will live by faith. Sounds easy, Jimmy, yeah. Live by faith. (laughs) What does that look like in real life? I've had some conversations this week where I just think, wow, I don't even know the beginning of what it means to trust God. Like the people that I've talked to are experiencing. Sometimes God will put you in situations where You know, all of us are absolutely dependent on him all the time. But sometimes he puts you in a situation where it is absolutely clear I'm desperately dependent on him. Friends, we know something that Habakkuk didn't know. We are on this side of the cross. We have news that Habakkuk hadn't heard. When we wonder who God is and what he's up to, whether he's there, whether he cares, and whether he is the just judge he says he is, we can look to the cross. Is God there? God came in the flesh. God came in the flesh to walk as one of us, with us. Does God care? The Father sent His Son in the flesh 
to live the life that we should have lived, to die the death that we deserve to die. And on the third day, to rise victorious from the grave, kicking open the gates of hell from the inside out and saying, yes, I do judge. I will judge your sin by judging my son in your place. That's how much I care about sin and your heart. If you right now need to know that God is there and that God cares and that He is who He says He is and He will do what He says He do, will do, look at the cross. Father, we, we look to Jesus now and ask You to help us to live by faith in Him. Teach us to pray honest prayers only because Jesus made it possible for us to get real with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.